Well, guys, we have a very special edition of Thicky Caps today because we have a guest in studio. We are throwing COVID to the wind and we're bringing in Scott Cunningham, who is a brand safety, privacy expert, advertising expert, all kinds of things. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. Let's dig in right now. Okay, Scott, thank you for coming in. Yeah. Good to be here. Thanks I, for the invite. It's great to have somebody in person, yeah. like face-to-face -face here, man. This is amazing. But before we dig in, I want to tell my audience, and I've got to read this because your accolades are long and deep, and this is only some of them. But here's why you want to watch this episode from right now all the way through the end. Scott is the author of Defining Brand Safety Series, which is by the Brand Safety Institute. He is the founder of the IAB Tech Lab, which is very important. We're gonna talk about that and we talk about that in some of our other webinars and why the IAB is very important to things we do at Cheetah. He's also the principal technology and program founder of the Trustworthy Accountability Group, the former head of product at F uh, Federated Media, the former president of Media News Group Interactive. He was a pioneer in the development of usatoday.com, but most recently you've probably seen him in the press. He is the architect of the NewsPass ID, which is the new identifier and ad network to help support sustainable journalism in the United States. So clearly an expert on brand safety, privacy, journalism, advertising, everything. Jeez, man, we got a lot to cover. I'm excited. It's well, been, you know, uh, an interesting uh, last year for sure. Too. It has been yeah. an interesting last year, but you know what? It's even been it is late June 2021. It's an interesting week. Let's start with this. Google just said, we all know that cookies are going away, right? Google slated them for execution and third party cookie and all this third party data disruption is coming our way. But Google just said, uh, we're going to push that back by a year or so. What are your thoughts on that? What's going on there? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First and foremost, I, I actually think, you know, let's, let's address Google's response. I think Google obviously is faced with some headwinds over in Europe when it comes to getting regulators to bless this type of move, especially with flocks and how audiences get added to cohorts, yep. which is what the proposal has been out there. Uh, that's number one. Um, the second real part about this from Google's perspective, I actually think is think about it in terms of money. Google makes a lot of money off of advertising and marketers <laughs> out there. And marketers are really afraid about how to do attribution in the future. They don't know what they're gonna do when it comes to the loss of these cookies and, and buying audiences at scale. So I actually think Google is taking a, a little bit of a, a, a leveraged role in this saying, you know, let's delay this because we don't want marketer spend to dry up on the open web. That's how we make our money and a lot of other people make our money. So I think there's a combination of things there, but for everybody else, especially marketers and publishers who have consumer uh, relationships, it should not stop you from making sure that you're yep. preparing for the future of first party data, zero party data, identifiers, you name it. You still need to maintain that. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because in the Ad Age white paper that we co-authored that was released last week um, titled uh, Zero Party Data, An Optimal Path to Personalization, there was a survey question in there and I believe 78% of marketers said that they were looking to get off of third-party cookies, get off of third-party data, and look for a new way. However, I think it was also over 70% said, well, cookies are working quite fine right now, so we're going to continue to use them. And that was before this new extension. So 
Do you think brands in general are going to continue to kick the can down the lane and go, oh, we bought it another year. We'll worry about that later. We'll have our ad you know, agency or our data brokers figure this out for us. Do you think there's going to be complacency that continues? I think some will. I think that uh, it's inherent in our human nature. Those of us who did undergrad learned how to do our best work at the last minute. Um, and I do think that that's probably going to happen for a number of companies. Um, at the same time, I do think that there's going to be a, uh, an initiative based on it, commercialization in the private sector of identifiers that's going to help continue to push brands and publishers who do have those consumer uh, uh, relationships to continue to push them into the right direction. So I do think that, yeah, there's gonna be some some brands out there like, meh, I'll worry about this now at the end of 2022. My forecast will be, you know, stamped in then. Uh, Others are gonna say, no, you know what? It's time for me to get on board with this now. Okay, well, look, and the IAB, who you're obviously well familiar with, early uh, in March of this year, released a report that 2021 uh, ad eco- digital ad ecosystem said uh, value exchange is what to do. Long-term uh, relationships are what you need. And they literally said the word lethal when it said failing to adopt new practices that get off the old legacy ad tech. And they kind of inferred that that's third-party data in there um, could be lethal. So I think some marketers are going to lose their job if they don't get ahead of this. But before we dig into that, you just you mentioned a keyword that we're going to talk about and I'm sure is going to come up identifiers. For those out there that right now, maybe they're the, you know, in the marketing function, but they're not the actual practitioners, you know, making these matches and targeting people. Can you kind of give the 101 of what like the identifier is and how it kind of works in a high level of advertising and targeting? Yeah, actually, this is, um, you know, a a great opportunity to bring up that I am on the uh, advisory board for the uh, identifier series for the Modern Marketing Association, MMA, and I'm evaluating for the marketers and uh, those those customers there at the MMA, all the identifiers are coming through. And that includes uh, what's publicly out there, uh, the identifiers that include, you know, the Dentsus or the Merkles, um, the Axioms, you name it, uh, live ramps and these types of things. So you have to think about an identifier is your ability to capture first party data uh, at the, what I'll just call mid consumer funnel. At the um, bottom of that funnel is that zero party data that that we've been talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So that you need to be able to append into that. But that identifier in itself is identity, but also anonymized signals. So when we think of an identifier, it is your ability to understand your customer's IP addresses, um, um, anything that may not be explicit deterministic data like an email, right? Okay. So we do want to make sure that we are uh, appropriately assigning the term identifier as this kind of an umbrella term for a lot of first party data signals all the way down to yes, email addresses and phone numbers. And how do we say, okay, now Scott has an identifier and here are all the attributes that are assigned to that. Okay. And these identifiers, part of the disruption here, the, 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 the mess is that there's different identifiers on different media companies and different browsers, different everything, right? Like, can you kind of explain that landscape at a high level? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, um, when, when I stood up the Ivy Tech Lab, uh, being a standards organization, um, we obviously, and I've always advocated for standards and interoperability for for global scale of advertising sure. and, and marketing. Of anything, I mean, of we have anything. scale, like yeah. we use the same, you know, well, we have metric and we have English, but other right. than that, you need a commonality. You that need some common use. common language. Sometimes it's a common technical specification, which yeah. is what we have with programmatic and open RTB uh, around those things and video, for example. Now, 
what's happened though is is that the market has decided it wants to compete before a standard, and sometimes standards take some time. Sure. So the market's decided it wants to compete. So this is why you have all these identifiers that have come out of the woodwork. And even the one I'm building, I'm doing it though in terms of the news industry and journalism, and I'm white labeling the tech. Sure. Um, so I'm actually taking a nuanced approach saying this identifier is for the local journalism industry in the US versus a here's the private sector tech company, you know, for example. And so I am trying to separate those two. But when the marketplace wants to compete against something, you're going to have a lot of venture capital money, a lot of yeah. startup money coming through these things. And what happens is now as a, uh, uh, a vendor, you are trying to pitch to a customer and that customer is your marketer or it's a publisher, anybody with a business to consumer relationship. Yep. And as a marketer, you're going, all right, I got 25 knocking on my door. Which one's the best? <laughs> Which one's the match rate? Which one's the you know element yeah. of these things? And so I think that's been um, kind of overwhelming for some marketers and understanding what am I paying for? What am I getting? Now, what's interesting here too is we need to separate to your point of, of what that IAB paper was spelling out. There's a difference, and let's go back to the basics. There's a difference here between being a marketer and marketing and advertising. And so in order to really effectively get to advertising, you need to be really good at marketing. Sure. And I think we've missed out on some of those opportunities in programmatic advertising and that we've just said, hey, look, all I need to do is get reach and scale and maybe the nuance of my message or just sending it pay and spray out there was my ability to push a button or pay somebody else to push a button yeah. to go at scale. But did we really develop those relationships as a marketer with those consumers? And I think this is where the opportunity is. It's also how we got into trouble because consumers are like, well, you have all this data on me? I don't have a relationship with you. How did that happen? Yeah, exactly. So now here's the opportunity to reestablish that as well. And that's the marketing funnel I think that most brands really need to start focusing on. So let me ask this. Um, I might put you on the spot because we haven't talked about this one. but. So let's say we've convinced brands as Cheetah Digital, we go out and we help people acquire first and zero party data at scale, right? We Discovery Communications got 100 million people to enter a sweepstakes to win a home and they learn five to six pieces of psychographic information on them. Through that transfer, there was a very clear uh, value exchange and also very clear terms of use, right? They said, hey, we're gonna use this we're going to keep your data. We're not going to sell it or share it, but we will give you offers on behalf of our uh, partners. Maybe that's Home Depot or Lowe's because they have a lot of home improvement shows. And now you get emails or ads from Discovery that say, hey, do you want to, you know, get a, a spring 30% off, you know, spring cleaning or spring gardening, you know, coupon from, from Lowe's or something. But when it comes to the identifiers, if, if we can convince a brand to go out and start collecting all that data at scale, how does that tie to the identifiers for advertising? Are, have, are we not there yet? Is, is it an email? Is it an SMS? Is it a, a mobile number? Like what should the brands be collecting so that they can, if they choose one of these identifiers or if a common identifier were adopted, how does that match kind of happen? So it's interesting, it's a, it's a great topic here in that I do believe that is a brand, you should be offering up something to your customer in exchange for this information, email, phone number, but it can't be a, here's a window dialog box. Um, please give me your email so we can target you for better ads. Yeah. 
It's not going to... No. (laughs) No consumer has ever asked for a better ad. Better experience, better product, but never a better ad. Right. And so, you know, this is where we kind of ran into some of this with Apple. And there's a lot of um, uh, real-time trial and error right now happening with Apple's uh, privacy moves. And so what's interesting here is that the marketer has an opportunity to collect this information. But once they do, the question becomes, how do you target consumers who've opted in from an addressability perspective on the publisher side. And let's just talk about the publisher side and the marketer side. Both have consumer information, both have consumer relationships. Everybody else, and this this needs, the marketer should, should think through this, everybody else is an intermediary. Everybody yeah, else. Just a middleman. Just a middleman, including your agency, Holco. Uh, including ad tech, you name it. Everybody does not have that customer relationship that you have. Even Cheetah Digital, like we just have technology. We right. we can facilitate messages and data, but you, the brand, and John or Jane Doe, like you're the ones that have the relationship. We're right. just an intermediary. Just an intermediary. And so what's, what is interesting here is I actually think the marketers and the publishers or the sellers uh, here have a better a better opportunity to come back to the conversation together on how to trade and transact. And the reason why that's important is because programmatic has led to a lot of transparency issues, a lot of obfuscation, and oftentimes it's because the buyer and the seller, they don't talk anymore. Sure. And so now we can actually sit down and we can discuss what is the appropriate signal or variable, email, phone number, IP, household IP, if it's CTV, that we do want to be able to trade on. And this has been really healthy, I think, in, in this conversation. Now, standards do help facilitate scale. Yes. And obviously the Ivy Tech Lab, uh, my old team and, and a bunch of new folks over there working with their members, you can, you, you know, everyone's been watching and monitoring and the W3C has been working through this with Google and, and these flocks are trying to figure out exactly what is the appropriate way for us to transmit advertising again in a permission consented world. Email has been thrown out there a lot when it comes to UID2. The problem here is a lot of brands and a lot of publishers, they don't collect email. Hmm. And so everything on the open web has been free. It's been kind of open, freemium, you know, you name it, but there's not a lot of collection of email. So, so you're saying, sorry, you're saying like a media publisher who has great content that you love, you know, they're collecting some data on you, but they're not explicitly asking you to log in or give them an email address. That That's exactly it. That yeah, even in Europe, if you look at the cookie consent dialog box or GDPR, you're clicking okay, but you're not giving over an email. Sure. Your, it's your cookie still. It's your cookie on your It's your first yeah. party cookie, yep. right? And I think this is important because up until now, nobody's really talked about our first party cookies going away. And the answer is no. No, they're right. Yeah. They're not. Well, we'll see what Apple does on Safari, but you know, yeah. Apple's been interesting in we'll their moves recently. We'll talk about that. I yeah. want to dig but, into that for but sure. But what's interesting here is. Um, to the point of, is there one signal by which we're going to trade? And the answer is going to be no. Hmm. It's not going to be one because the platforms and the browsers are all kind of taking their, you know, unfortunate non-standardized approach to things. Uh, and so what's going to happen is buyers and sellers are going to have to come up with this equation. And then the intermediaries are going to have to respond to that based on various signals at this point. Yeah. Wow. What a mess. I mean, it's like. You know, back in my TV days, I remember HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. And it was like, who's going to win here? Um, You'd love one. Which also is another thing in privacy law. We don't have to go too deep into this because this has been beat up. But how about 
the privacy end of this of collecting and having to comply with local legislation. There's no real federal legislation in the U.S. yet that's meaningful. You got GDPR, you got CCPA, you got Virginia, Colorado, where we sit, just passed the law, what, three weeks ago. Um, you know, that's another disruption. How is that going to factor in, in your opinion, in the future of, uh, of all this data brokering? You know? If you have some extra cash laying around, buy stock and consent management platforms. <laughs> um, is, is my response. There you go. You're going to yeah. get a stock tip during yes. the podcast. I mean, because I'm not a lawyer, but obviously from a technologist and a, an entrepreneur perspective uh, as my consultancy, um, you know, I would argue that really the CMPs are really going to end up being at the center of this because what's going to happen here is, is a is a marketer or and or a publisher or a publisher holding company or a marketer hold, you know has got brands across various states. Let's just focus here on the U.S. You've got a patchwork of localized or regionalized re, uh, regulation that's that's going to come out. Right, there is no federal privacy law yeah. that, yet. Um, and what's interesting here is is that when I talk to brands and we talk about California. Even in California, you're going through a metamorphosis from CCPA to CPRA, right? And so that's even changing over there. So your technology vendors in the CMP are the only ways that you're going to be able to flag who you're able to target and then, frankly, store within your own identifier, your own data store. This is critical because if you're not doing this right, that's a brand safety issue. It will come back to hurt you um, because what's going to happen is consumers will find out. Somebody's going to call you out on Twitter, you name it. Um, this is a brand safety issue, and this isn't just the marketing group now. Your CFO, your CEO is going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. How did we get into this mess? So you yeah. do need to care for this type of relationship. And quite honestly, it's just good customer experience and good customer relationships if yeah. you do this right and handle it right. Yep. Use data for good. Be ethical. You know, yeah. don't, don't beat around the box. But yeah, it's a lot of disruption. It's a lot of tech. It's a lot of uh, cost. It's a lot of energy. But you have to do it. Um, you mentioned the Apple news, you know, a couple weeks ago, and we did a podcast on this and, and we sent out a note to all of our clients because our clients need to know what is the disruption of this Apple mail, you know, sending back false positives. Every Apple mail uh, that's received through the app could potentially give back an open signal, whether the email is open or not. And with Safari blocking IP address, there's major geo uh, I uh, I was quoted, or at least I talked to the journalist in the Financial Times who covers Apple, who didn't understand, oh, wait a second, there's content on the web that is geofenced, so I'm not supposed to be watching, you know, that uh, soccer match on NBC in America because it's licensed to maybe, you know, ESPN and vice versa. Can you talk a little bit about the disruption from, you know, Apple's uh, announcement at the, at the developer conference? So Apple... We all like to think that some of the platform moves, they actually have well thought out intentions. You know, I actually <laughs> think that uh, what actually happens is they, it's the 80-20 rule. They probably thought through 80% of the use cases and they said, you know, this is in the best interest of our company and our customers that we're going to go do. And then the 20%, which is more than edge cases, it's still a large portion. They're kind of like, oh, shit. Can I say that? Um, what do we do now? You just did. Yes. So of course and you can. So it is one of those situations where geo becomes really intriguing. It has nothing to do with advertising either. It has everything to do with how the open web can function, like licensing models and content. And so it goes beyond like, okay, yeah. we're going to use your IP address to tell you what the weather is in this email you're opening up because we know you're in California yeah. or Denver or whatever. It's literally 
affecting license rights, rights management? Everything across the board. You think about it because geo and your zip code and everything you subscribe to is everything if you think about it. And so addressability isn't just advertising, it's subscription, it's every, you know, on that front. So if Apple takes the move that it's going to, what I'll just say is masquerade these things in the name of privacy, um, that's going to create some problems. And I do think that Apple's going to have to find a way that even if it wants to be privacy friendly against, um, you know, making sure that customers' uh, data sets are not exposed in a way, it will have to expose things in a generic way like geo. Uh, It's going to have to find a way to expose that uh, uh, for consumers, for example, who would be um, maybe uh, uh, subscribers to the English Premier League over here in the U.S., but um, you know, it, uh, on their platform and their Apple device, right? How does Apple know that the they're in the U.S.? You know, how does the English Premier League know, or whoever yeah. the broadcast rights holders are know? So these well, are yeah, things the player like, in the middle. Is they're going to the have really to resolve them. these issues as they go forward. So you know, there is a saying that I do think that some of it was very much of a uh, ready fire aim versus a ready aim fire. Got it. All right, that's a good way to put it. Well, we'll continue to watch what happens there. But what's what's scary about that to me is this is Apple, right? I think Apple's just trying to win over the consumer. I mean, look look at their ads that are going right into the the home. Like primetime TV ad is all about privacy and people, you know, uh, poof, they're, they're, the people tracking you evaporate when you flip a switch, which we know is not the case. It's, they want you to think that. Um, but what if everyone else adopts that? What if, like, internet service providers adopt that? What if... Uh, you know, Android and Google, like this throws everything into just a total chaos tornado. Well, if you think about it, we've been kind of walking down this path now for a few years and we keep hearing the term walled gardens. And I actually think what we're seeing on these moves is we're actually the hardening of the walls in these platforms uh, is really what's occurring. So I absolutely think that Google is going to take some more privacy friendly approaches. Clearly, they're going to have to. The, the, cons- the customers out there and the consumers out there expect that when they're transacting in digital. Um, but the question becomes, are they doing it and then ensuring that there's fair market competition and interoperability mm-hmm. across these things? And I think that's the part we're going to have to watch because mm-hmm. you can make an argument here with Apple that they're enclosing the system in the name of privacy. And that's always bothered me. We've hijacked privacy for anti-competition law. Got it. And we need to separate those two. And I know it's hard, but you look at it, it's like, you know, you, you say you're doing this in the name of privacy, but are you doing this in the name of Beating up on Google, beating up on Facebook. Or, or standing up harder walls around these things and yeah. letting these two beat up on each other. And yeah. then now we've got Amazon, right? So are we walking down a, a world where we only have four or five major power brokers because they use privacy as, 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 as the, the excuse flag. to go do this? Yeah. Waving the privacy yeah. flag, but yeah. really just beating up on the competitors yeah. and yeah. differentiating. Okay, interesting, interesting space. Um, your days at the IAB, we talk a lot with brands that do a lot of advertising. Uh, and I do want to touch and get your take on on that 2021 digital ad ecosystem report specific to the value exchange. Um, you mentioned the value exchange. Do you see that as, uh, and I should say value exchange for first and zero party data. Do you really see that as the path forward? Is that the number one nugget you would put your, you know, is that the Bitcoin you would bet on? Are there other avenues that brands should be considering to get around the third party, you know, cookie conundrum? 
Well, I do think that some brands that I've talked to and work with um, have said things such as Google's Flock are going to be okay for them for lookalikes, right? So there's going to be elements out there where contextual and audience building is still going to happen, and brands are okay targeting on that for their lookalike type modeling. But if that is what their go-to-market strategy is going to be in the new world, they're going to fail because they're not developing that consumer relationship that they need to. And when I say that, I even talking about um, uh, CPG or other types of brands out there who, who may not tradition, the candy bar maker who sits in the grocery store, may not have a relationship with Tim or Scott, but what a great opportunity to start that process now right? Um, rewards programs, loyalty programs, anything that you can start establishing those relationships is really how you're going to make sure that you are addressable advertising is functioning appropriately in the future. And if you're not doing that marketing funnel, well, honestly, to be honest with you, shame on you. You're not developing a relationship with your customer and your customer might react that accordingly to that too. Um, so I actually think that that IAB report touched on something that was really critical. It is getting back to, to the basics of marketing and working with your customer versus thinking in terms of where's my ad spend going. Yeah, Thanks. totally agree. You know, I, we've, we've said it, we've said it in articles, we've been quoted saying, look, we got fat and lazy on the cookie, right? We leaned back, we put one hand in our pants and one hand on the remote and just kind of hung around while ad tech did all of our our work, programmatic, et cetera. Um, you have to be creative. You have to understand your audience and you have to react to that. Um, from a brand safety perspective, what other listening should brands be doing? You know, we, we've talked a bit about Facebook and you know, their problems curating or suppressing you know, hate speech and things like that. But are there other threats from a brand safety perspective that, uh, that you're seeing that brands really need to be aware of? And seriously? Well, I think there's two areas. Um, one, obviously, on the, um, you just brought it up, the, the platforms and the social platforms. Um, I'd work a lot on clearly the avoidance category scenarios that the 4As put out to help supplement in the IAB taxonomy of avoidance categories, right? So there's clearly elements of hate speech on social platforms. Um, these are really uh, important issues that I would hope more and more brands would get their arms around versus delegating this to their intermediary agency, which is important. Your, your, your relationship there is important, yeah. but you need to also take ownership of, of this. So the, the Brand Safety Institute, we have an um, uh, a, a organization I advise, a nonprofit. Um, they uh, uh, have a brand safety officer certification. They are trying to train more and more marketers yeah. to take account for these things in their buying and ask the right questions. We're trying to educate the marketers out there on these channels, social in particular. Um, we also hope, and this is where my passion project is from the local journalism in the U.S., is I want to bring more marketing brands back to verified fact-based con uh, content, which is journalism. And we know that journalism played such a huge role in our election processes, uh, COVID, pandemic times, and right now they're struggling and they're closing doors. So how do we bring that back? So from the brand safety of content, uh, yes, we still got a problem there. And I would love to see more marketers get involved. Um, the other element of brand safety is going forward when it comes to identifiers and privacy. If you are targeting ads or marketing messages to somebody who is not giving you permission, or if you're in, regula uh, in a regulatory environment and you now could be flirting with the law, think about this. The law is the floor. 
of this. Your consumer's perception is where you <laughs> need to start focusing on these things. So I would argue brand safety should be up here. And if you achieve this or shoot for this, you've easily satisfied the regulatory environment yeah. on that front. You shouldn't be like thinking in terms of, well, how does my message get around this one, this law or this, or, you know, think in terms of what is it your customer might want. You can still segment out those customers, understand who they are with zero party data. It's a perfect opportunity to do that. And then make sure you're targeting those messages to them in a brand safe way. And if they are opting out, can you make sure that those opt outs are current, they're fresh, and that therefore you're not, you know, have a, a long life cycle of continuing to target them because honestly that could come back to hurt you. That's a brand safety issue. And your other executives in your orgs outside the market department are not gonna be happy about that either. And those fines can get expensive, like per instance, per person, you know, sending the wrong SMS to somebody can get expensive depending on the state and what you yep. did. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's funny because a lot of marketers will make sure that their their marketing ops and their tech gets net new customers into their Facebook ads and Google ad funnels very quickly. But those that have opted out, you know, uh, maybe they're not getting opted out or suppressed as quickly. So yeah, take that seriously. Um, I want to ask you about the email channel. We're big into the email yeah. channel. We have a messaging platform yeah. and SMS as well. Do you see any potential further disruptions? from a regulatory standpoint, uh, primarily, but any, really any disruption, um, into those channels. You know, right now, I would argue that an ISP is not looking at your subject lines, right? If, if I'm into guns or I'm into something that maybe somebody else isn't, um, nobody's really suppressing my emails or reading my emails and saying, you know what, your deliverability is not gonna go because we don't like guns. We're yahoo.com or gmail.com and we don't like guns. Do you have any fears there about regulation and censorship in an email or SMS channel? Well, I think we already have rules out there, right? And there's can spam rules. There's, there's sure. a lot of other regulatory elements that have already been addressed on this. So I do think that an email on your phone is probably, and coming from a brand or a publisher, um, is probably one of the most personal transactions that, that any private sector company could have with a customer is email on your mobile device, right? And I question why we would need ISPs, just like on browsers and open, what, why do we need another layer of filtration or disintermediation of that very private conversation and dialogue? And so what are we really trying to offer? Right, There's, we have a saying, ad tech land, email is a perfect example of this. It has gone from what the current state of ad tech the last few years, it has gone from, um, I would argue, level of priority, advertiser, intermediary, publisher, consumer. And what I would like to see, and I think most marketers would agree, that this needs to go from consumer to the marketer, publisher, depending on who owns that relationship, to the intermediary. And what's happened here is it's now, if you watch the platforms and the ISPs out there, they're going, no, it's consumer platform, advertiser, publisher, yeah. intermediary. And so, at what point do anybody who has a conversation or a relationship with a customer say, wait, this is, this is my customer, not, yeah. not yours. And I think this is where the argument is. This is where the fight is. Why is it that, you know, if you think about it, when we had television, um, the relationship with the broadcasters or the marketers was with them, right? Or you can make an argument the advertiser had to go through the publisher, but not the 
TV box. Yeah, right? not the set-top box. <laughs> right? So how is it now that the technology viewport, or the ISP in this case, is now the owner of this relationship? You are a part of that, but you are also the plumbing. You're not the one who's synthesizing the quality of the water here uh, on that front. So, mm-hmm. you know, how does that relationship play out? And I actually would love to see marketers uh, and publishers work better, uh, closer together and making sure that they are saying, I'm sorry, but these are our customers here. And therefore, the value exchange we're going to offer them as an ISP, you must respect. And that's being lost in this conversation. You're having a lot of power grabs going on right now. You know, you're right. And it's been over a decade where even when some of these content producers, right, a television network created their own OTT, right? So now, okay, we can go direct to the consumer. But that didn't really happen until recently because you had to be authenticated through your MSO or your, your cable network provider. And now you're starting to see the, the Disney Pluses, the behemoths, be able to go direct to consumer without authenticating someone in the middle. I mean, I got rid of cable TV years ago. And I've been, I'm in the television business for, you know, 10 years of my life. So that is interesting to see, and it would be great to see that hierarchy uh, shuffled, that deck shuffled. It, it would be it would be fantastic because right now it's kind of one of those. Um, I'm getting these emails as a customer. I'm getting because I did something. I did something to transact with that brand, and yeah. so I do have the. If you look at my Gmail account, there's actually a reason why there's a sponsored tab and other tabs, right? Because <laughs> I have yeah. relationships, and yes. they they've helped me understand these are my private communications. These are the relationships I have with brands, and as a as a customer, I kind of like that because I actually get it kind of broken out and say, you know, I want to know what yeah. deals I'm being offered now. Yep. I like that. But what's happening here with Apple is like, eh, no. Mm. Um, you know, frankly, we're going to allow the customer to just shut all that off, and it's like. Well, but the customer has already articulated that I'm okay with that value exchange. Yeah, that's really frustrating. It's it's incredibly frustrating. Unless, like right now, you can still add, you can load your own audiences with an IP, or sorry, with an email identifier to Google, right? They'll let you yeah. pay all day long if you want to bring your own cache of data and say, hey, here are the customers I want to reach. I don't need your filtering. I don't need your, your ad audience. I just need you to make the match. But uh, it is interesting in that, you know, the director relationship, uh, consumer relationship, and the messages are sometimes filtered there. It's an interesting one, Apple. Yep. Apple's always in the center of that. Well, you mentioned journalism. I want to learn more about uh, what you have going on in, in, in journalism. You have the, the NewsPass ID. Maybe explain a little bit about what you're doing in that field uh, because journalism is important, right? We talked about brand safety and brands out there. We need real journalism. If we yep. do not have democratized journalism, if we have, and I'm not going to name names, these giant conglomerates kind of filtering your news, you know, every day in whatever channel or medium you have, that, that's, that's bad. That's not the American way, in my opinion. So tell us, tell us what you're, what you're doing there and trying to achieve. Yeah. So, um, at the beginning of, of the COVID pandemic, uh, there was a lot of uh, conversation around keyword blocking of, of COVID news sure. information. I was on one of your podcasts, actually, we yeah. just started this conversation. And so what we decided to do was not just to educate marketers and buyers against why blocking these keywords wasn't great and how you they were developing their what we're calling now inclusion list was 
there we're excluding local journalism in the U.S. So I developed a list with the local media consortium, uh, which is an organization that stood up for all local news publisher holding companies in the United States. And there's got about 5,000 domains and publishers there. So I developed this list alongside them and I gave it to the uh, agency holding companies. The feedback was, wow, we're not buying on these anymore. We, you know, we just added 3,000 domains to this list. Well, the question was, how can you not be buying on them? And the answer was, well, programmatic, we stopped asking questions about what the content or context we were buying. We were looking at audiences at scale, hence mm -hmm. back to the identifier conversation mm -hmm. and scale. And so the question was, well, if you're just buying audiences, that means you're probably buying on social platforms too, and there, there's your brand safety issue. Yeah. So how do we bring you back to fact-based quality journalism? And that was our first foray into it. So we established a program at the local media consortium that developed a product called NewsPass ID. And right now we are in the pilot phases of running this program. And as the legitimately the architect of it, um, I've got working groups of first party data for the local publishers across the US and an ad network. And what we're doing is we're working with them to set the identifier across all of their network so that marketers can feel confident that they can buy local journalism at scale against first party data. Hmm. That's the goal. But what we've seen also in the last 10, 20 years is newspapers have started to shut doors. We call them news deserts. So you have a lot of local communities in the US who don't have local journalism synthesizing not just what's happening there, but Society has also, in these local communities, gathered their information from cable news. And so now their view of the world is skewed to how maybe the political are leaning. And yeah. so even our politics are impacted by not having local journalism on the ground for people to be able to synthesize what is that national voice saying that means to me. Yeah, in the context of in where, context, I live, in how, where I live. Where I live without that local journalist, either in the newspaper, now we're seeing in local television. So our program is local. It doesn't discriminate between newspaper or television. The, LN, the local media consortium's membership is both, and radio, actually. Um, and so what we're trying to do is make sure that we're developing this path of this first-party identifier, the ad network model, on one hand, so that they can get off the third-party cookie, yep. which is how they made it. And you have to think in terms of not just brand marketers, local news outlets are the agency for small medium businesses in the US. A lot of people don't, don't recognize that. Small medium businesses, they advertise online just like big brand marketers, but the local publisher is the one facilitating that for them across multiple channels, not just their publications or their network. So what's fascinating here is how do we get local media to be that sustainable model for not just small businesses to advertise, but so that brand marketers can reach those localized audiences at scale, which has been kind of missing and why so many are going out of business. Um, so my, that is, that's where my heart has been the last 18 months. It will be uh, next foreseeable future until I can get them over this next phase uh, on that front. But it is something I think that uh, here in the US we should take really seriously. And, I, and I, the brand marketers I've spoken to have been exceptionally supportive saying, Scott, 
the title of the journalism entity doesn't matter as much, right? The, the title, the masthead of the newspaper, but local professionally produced journalism does. Yes. You bring us the new front door, we will show up and buy on that door. So I'm building that front door for them in the new, the new house. That's what I'm working on. That is incredibly important because you're right. I'm glad you made the point that local is, is important to not only the small medium business, but I make, I'm going to make a prediction here um, because I believe in personalization. Been championing that for years, even before the technology was available. Even with Mark Cuban over 10 years ago, was collecting zero-party data even before the term was coined to get people things that they want, right? That could be you like the color red, the color blue. You like mountains or sand. Um, I predict that as personalization hits scale and as larger brands, P&G, Mark Pritchard, you know, is, is one of these champions, are getting more zero-party data. What they're going to also want to build into that blend is the context of your geo. So to your point, uh, you know, I get it. Tom's Pizza Place or the local Ford dealer, that's where they go to spend their dollars. Local journalism, the local Channel 7 website, news feed, yeah. in social promotions. But as personalization hits scale, not only will the Googles and the Amazons and these giant wall gardens and publishers be able to get the right message to the right person, obviously everything we talked about, identifiers and you know privacy has to be respected there. I believe large enterprise businesses will be tapping into these local markets and they'll want, they'll take them seriously because there will be scale, there will be a first party identifier, yeah. and then they will be able to bring the context of geo, um, especially if they're asking people explicitly, where do you live? Give us your zip code. All right, maybe the IP has gone, but if we know you live in Denver, Tim, even though you might be traveling today, I was in New York yesterday, um, Cool. We can give you relevant stuff and your relevant news because I read the Denver Post, mm -hmm. and I'd I'd welcome any large brand that wants my money. You know, forty-seven-year-old white man in Denver making good money. Please advertise to me in the local, you know, Denver Post site and, and where I spend my time. So, stitch that together. Well, Scott, we went almost forty minutes. What did we miss? What are the key takeaways? Is there anything we missed here that uh, that we got to get out for our audience? And where we're experts. Well, you know, dovetailing from the local journalism to uh, what you just discussed with zero-party data and first-party data, publishers and brand marketers are going through the exact same exercise now, which is how do I establish that cons consumer funnel and value exchange conversation? It's amazing, actually. If you take a look at the MarTech stacks that brand marketers have and what publishers need, it's the same. Um, there's nuances to everything, clearly, but... It comes back to one thing. How do we better communicate with customers digitally? It really just comes back to that. Um, and that's kind of where my consultancy has been. Uh, I do a lot with CTV on that uh, other fronts as well. Uh, but my consultancy, Cunningham.Tech, that's kind of where I put myself a little bit in my own little shingle of the world and helping out yeah. local journalism, but also helping out brand marketers and others on that front. Look, you're gonna to have to learn to scale yourself because people need your services. Um, if if you if you want to catch up on Scott, you want to follow what's going on. He said Cunningham.tech. Hire him. Uh, get a get a consultancy. Like just get in there and get his ear. Also, you know, Google the Defining Brand Safety series. That's by the Brand Safety Institute. You need to go look at that. Um, putting out great stuff, Scott. We'd love to have you back. Uh, you're also you contributed to our webinar. If you haven't seen it. 
Um, the Path to Personalization is a webinar that's available on demand here at cheetahdigital.com where we really dig into all things zero-party data, how to collect it, why you need it. Uh, we go over a white paper that we co-published with AdAge. We have some other client mentions in there, so some great stuff. Scott, always great to have you. It's good to see you in person. I'm glad that the world's getting back to normal. You're local, so we should have you in more frequently. Yes, absolutely. Get more. your vaccine. You know, we can all come into these offices and hang out and yeah. cameras with you all. So get, you get your vaccine, yeah. get traveling, get back to normal, yeah. and uh, start getting creative. Uh, stop relying on cookies. Stop relying on ad tech to solve your problems. Start uh, leaning forward and get to understand your consumers. All right. Cool. We'll see you next time. It's been great. Long episode of Thinking Caps. See you around.